Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. It's never an easy call with so many problems in the world to know where to direct the money that you donate when you want to help out in this world. But what I can tell you is that when you donate to CAMH, you're saving lives. We know about the opioid crisis. We know about the mental health crisis. They are doing the work. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at CAMH.ca slash CanadaLand to help us treat addiction and build hope. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. Shri Paradkar, Toronto Star social and racial justice columnist and the Toronto Star's first internal ombud. Hi. Hi. Today on the show, Trudeau and India. He's not dancing anymore. (laughs) And the day that 70 communities each lost a newspaper. Welcome back to Shortcuts, where we talk shit about the news. Nice to be here, Jesse. Nice to have you. This episode is brought to everybody by Mark Flynn, Kurt Lundberg, Mitch Stein, Jeffrey Cavan, Clara Copeland, Catherine Skidmore, Jean-Michel Baudry, and Chris. Hi, I'm Chris, a recruitment manager for an insurance company living in Terrence Bay, Nova Scotia. When I'm not at work, I'm usually on the road cycling, and I support Canada Land because for the price of a pint of beer, I get ad-free access to well-researched and presented stories of national interest and importance that can keep me entertained when the views along the coastline don't. We're going to lead off with breaking developments and more fallout from that explosive accusation by Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Over the past number of weeks, Canadian security agencies have been actively pursuing credible allegations of a potential link between agents of the government of India and the killing of a Canadian citizen. Tonight, the Prime Minister stands firm after his bombshell allegation. Tensions are high between India and Canada. Tensions are high after Canada accused India. An explosive accusation. India has expelled a senior Canadian diplomat as relations between the two countries worsen. 
Shri, I have consulted the Canada Land Internal Affairs analysts, our think tank, our uh, correspondents in India. No, we don't have any of those things. Um, but <laughs> you don't need those things to come to the consensus that this is a huge news event, not not just in Canada. This is a huge geopolitical event for the world or a significant one. I think that a accusation of an extrajudicial assassination on the soil of a sovereign nation in any context is a big, that, that that's like short of an act of war. There are a few other ways that you could transgress on a country's sovereignty more than killing a citizen of that country on that country's soil. And for that to happen on Canadian soil from India, it's not like some rogue state. This is an ally. This is a democracy, whatever the tensions are under the Modi government. It's not that I just can't remember Canada accusing another country of doing this to one of our citizens on our soil. I can't remember another democracy in in recent memory making an accusation like this of another country. It's a really big deal. It is a big deal for Canada and India. It's the idea of one nation going into another sovereign nation and killing somebody is not new. The U.S. has done that with what it considers terrorists in various countries, about maybe about almost a thousand people, more than a thousand people. Israel has done that in Iran, killing of scientists. So that concept is not new, but between Canada and India, it is new. That's a very good point. There is still a distinction that uh, I'm not exactly sure how to make it exactly, but it's it's about which kind of country accuses which kind of country, right? And where Correct. they stand in the political hierarchy. Because some countries can kind of do that and get away with it, and some countries can't. Right. So, yeah. So just, just when you mention rogue nations, I think about the U.S. first, right? Yeah. Uh, and but, but that's not how we classify it, because it's also supposedly the world police, self-appointed world police. So justified or not, should we do it or not, then these become different conversations. But if it is true, which is a big if, right? We don't know if it is true or not. The government itself says it's a credible allegation. You know, so we don't know if it's true. But I'm going to assume the fact that the Canadian prime minister stood up in parliament and said that means he has genuinely good data to support that this is what happened. If it is true, then yeah, it's inexcusable. You can't you can't have somebody else coming in and killing off. I don't care whether he's, turns out that he's a Canadian man, but even if he was not Canadian, it's not fair game. Somebody else cannot come in and assassinate him. The The question I have is, there was a bounty on this man's head mm-hmm. of 1 million rupees. That's about uh, 15,000 Canadian dollars. So was he killed by an Indian or was he killed by an agent of India? And how do we have the evidence to make that distinction? I'd love to see that, right? It's a very good question. And given that they put out the bounty, did they actually send an assassin or you, you put out the bounty and then somebody does it and then you can you can plausibly say that wasn't me or at least try to stand on that defense. Now, the fact that Trudeau made these accusations, even though he in- initially used very mitigating and murky language, these are allegations, we have credible information, that's not conclusive. He later said, and, and here's a tortured sentence for you. We wanted to make sure that we fully shared with the government of India uh, the seriousness and the depths of our uh, preoccupations. That's super weird. We wanted to share with them. My preoccupations are super serious. Yeah. I have very serious preoccupations. I have very deep preoccupations. No, but here's the operative word. And indeed conclusions. And indeed conclusions. 
And this is such an irrevocable bombshell allegation for Trudeau to make. Like, it, it just destroys the relationship between India and Canada. It forces other countries to orient themselves. Like, everyone's trying to cozy up to India for trade purposes. So, like, are you going to look the other way here? He'd have to be pretty goddamn sure about what he was saying before he stands up there and, sa- and says it. And I want to I dig into the actual chronology that led up to Trudeau making this announcement, because I think that this is a case for media criticism. If you read between the lines of, of what happened and look at the timeline, it's quite revealing. So we, we begin September 1st when there's the surprise announcement that Canada is halting trade talks with India, and no one's quite sure why. Well, you need to assess and, you know, with China increasingly, like the economy is not doing well and all the issues there, India is becoming much more important as a trade partner, a huge market. And Canada, Canada is not interested. Why? Then last week at the G20, there's this awkwardness, this weirdness between Trudeau and Modi. It's almost like Trudeau is hesitating to shake Modi's hand. And then Modi blasts Canada for doing too much to support Khalistanis and, and you know, looking the other way and tolerating all this stuff. And then Trudeau responds by saying, I brought up foreign interference. With Modi. So I think it's it's quite reasonable. You know, Trudeau says we have this evidence. So when did he get the evidence? I think that it's quite reasonable to come to the conclusion that the PMO knew about this at least as early as September 1st. <laughs> so his initial tactic is not to publicly call out the Indian government and make these, these big accusations that they killed a Canadian citizen on Canadian soil. And that makes perfect sense because we are a middle power and that is going to lead to a chain of events where Canada has to go to the States for support and America might not give the support. And the Washington Post reported that they did not, they would not support Canada in this really. They made kind of like a middling statement. Better to do some sort of soft diplomacy, chill the relations with India, try to work this out in a quieter way, but still being firm. You know, the LBJ quote, like don't send someone to hell unless you have the power to send them there. Trudeau taking this stand, it's like he's kind of left there like a lot, like it really isolates Canada. So why did he change his mind? And on the Globe and Mail's podcast, The Decibel, Bob Fife, one of the reporters, he gave some of the backstory. And here's what he said. He said, on Sunday, I was ready to go with the story. Now, Fife and Steve Chase have been mining sources within CSIS for all kinds of stories. They've got, they've got people in CSIS who do not like Trudeau and who feel like Trudeau is too soft on, on all this foreign interference. And I, I don't know if it's the same sources, but they certainly are getting fed a lot of information. So they have the story. And he says that he had it confirmed and was ready to go on Sunday. On Sunday, I, w- I was ready to go with the story. And uh, we got a call from a senior government official, first to the editor-in-chief, David Walmsley, asking us to postpone the, the story for at least a week. Wow. Uh, the request of security agencies who said they still needed more work to be done on that. And he goes on to say that they actually had this negotiation. So I said, well, I'm not going to sit on a story like this for a week. We'll give you 24 hours. We'll do it till Tuesday morning. But I also wanted to be responsible. And I said, well, you know, get your act together and uh, we'll give you time to do that and respect that. So this was on Sunday then, Bob. So y- you and, and Steve were, were looking into this issue over the weekend. We had it confirmed. Wow. We had it confirmed. We were ready to go with the story and we agreed to wait um, to be responsible, to be honestly, to be responsible, because if there were reasons why um, security people needed a little extra time to inform Canada's allies and to 
give law enforcement or whatever time to decide whether, I don't know whether it was going to be arrested or not, but they, they said they needed more time. So we, we agreed to do so. And then the PMO, I think acting in bad faith, tries to get ahead of the story. And then they kind of upstage us, by the way, uh, because they jumped the gun. And the, and the Globe Mail learns that in that period where the Globe is holding the story, Trudeau ma- it makes this announcement. Shri, what do you make of that? Wow, there were so many things in there. So to your first point about the prime minister would have known this at least September 1st and, you know, would have tried. Why did he make an announcement right now? I think it would have taken a lot more time than September 1st to this week to actually build rebuild relations with India for Canada. So if it was about building relations, then he would never have made that announcement. If, based on what you're saying about Fife, did they jump the gun and is it bad faith? Or does the prime minister think that the country needs to hear this from me so that they understand that the government is aware of what's going on? Remember, this was also a fairly nonpartisan declaration. Like, we didn't have... The conservatives immediately standing up and saying, how dare you say that? Like, they were all briefed. And so there was that moment, right? The rare moment in Canadian politics where we had all three parties kind of saying, yeah, like, this is our sovereignty at stake. They represent an outrageous affront to to Canada's sovereignty. It is outrageous. It is shocking. And it is going to have deep and devastating impacts to Canadians. I'm going to guess it was seen as bigger than whether a newspaper should, whether we are going to upstage a newspaper or not. Well, there's, there's, there's two issues. There's two issues. One is the PMO was not forthcoming to the public about this until they knew the Globe, right? Yeah. It, it, seems, it seems reasonable that the Globe and Mail, and here, this is what the Globe and Mail actually wrote in their first story. Trudeau made the announcement in the House of Commons one day after the prime minister's office learned that the Globe and Mail planned to publish the story. So it seems like it, they were quite happy to leave this mostly in kind of the question, why, why, are, we, why are we turning against Modi? What, what's going on? They were not forthcoming with this information and this accusation until they knew the Globe and Mail was going to run with it. Actually, that to me is a little bit more reassuring because then I've been wondering why did Trudeau stand up to talk about credible allegations? Like, why are we not talking about it at a point where we can actually say, this is the information we have, why are you doing it? So that makes more sense that, okay, he kind of felt like his hand was forced. He was pushed globe, into it. And was. let's think of the political context. His his polls were in like all-time low and all the newspapers were running all the stuff about how... Uh, like, the Chinese interference. And then if the Globe... Think of what would happen with him politically. If the Globe goes with this story, it, it adds to a narrative of a weak Trudeau who's getting pushed around by other, by other countries. So instead, he kind of, like, I think, acts in bad faith with the Globe and says, hey for safety reasons, please sit on this story, but then gets ahead of them. I've seen this tactic before. Yeah, you know what? The Kielbergers did this the... to us. They said, just give us another day yeah. and, and, and we'll uh, we'll give you better answers to the question. And then while we were being gentlemanly about it, yeah. they went and fed the story to the CBC so they could get ahead of it. And, and we scooped them by minutes on yeah. Twitter, which is exactly what happened with the Globe and Mail in this instance. Yeah. You know, and, it, and, 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 and the PMO was burning their relationship with the Globe and Mail. By in, doing this? this? Uh, well, and if you read what uh, my colleague Susan Delacote wrote in The Star, she said this was actually a longer plan of moving towards transparency, this is, which is what confidential sources inside the government have told him. We can have another so, conversation about Susan Delacorte's analysis of the PMO, which is a, a often very friendly coverage. Now, the next question for me is, 
So one was the reason why the Trudeau government decided to come up with this when it's still in an allegation stage. Yeah. It's been received as not an allegation, but fact, right? So you have people saying, well, thank God, like the government is finally saying this and we've always known it. And it probably is true. Like, I don't want to minimize the fears that the Sikh community in Canada has felt about repercussions about talking out against India. So that is also likely to be true. But tell me what is going to be the logical conclusion. So we have this accusation out there. And let's say, for some reason, the Modi government says, yes, Justin Trudeau, you're right. You know what? We This would be wrong. Let's open an investigation. And we did our own investigation and we found here is the guy who's done it. And let's say they're really doing it in good faith. Is anybody going to believe it? If you get a man and say, this is the assassin, this is where he was, here is his DNA, and he's done it, it's very easy to just call it a fake, a cover-up. This is the government scapegoating him. So I'm not sure that this is a situation that this is a mystery or a murder that's ever going to be solved to everybody's satisfaction. I agree completely. That scenario that you just described is so unlikely. It's far more likely that if this hadn't become a huge headline around the world, that, that, that through backdoor conversations, you could say, look, whatever really happened here. Go find a fall guy for this and please, so we can get back to just doing business with each other, uh, pretend that you had nothing to do with this. But now that it's being turned up to 11, it is so predictable what the response was, which is a full denial from Modi and diplomats getting pulled tit for tat. And and, and he's going to take no responsibility. It's hard to perceive of any path that is good for Canada. At this point. Uh, but but I should also say that the relationship between the liberal government and the uh, BJP, the ruling BJP in India, was never good enough for that back-channel conversation to happen. Maybe. Um, well, so, it's, it's an impossible situation. It that, is, that, yeah. that If this was an assassination by India, it puts Canada in an impossible situation yeah. where the best political tactic might have been to just pretend it never happened, which yeah. it, had it not been – what I'm saying here is I think that if not for the Globe and Mail learning about this – we would never have heard it. That's what I'm thinking. I'm, I, Yeah, that makes more sense to me because I've been wondering why we suddenly heard about this. But I should also also say, you know, look, this is, it's not, I'm not so worried about trade relations between Canada and India. I'm pretty sure both countries are capitalist enough to kind of say, okay, whatever, do whatever is most profitable to both of them. So that's not what I'm worried about. But I wonder, you know, with all the new immigrants coming in, with the students coming in, How are we positioning this issue, which is seen so differently from both sides? Like the Khalistani issue, issue, right? And and it's not, as I've heard uh, some conservative commentators say, oh, this thing happening in a faraway land. It is not. It's happening here, right? And so how are we, how do we, the rest of us who are not Sikh or not, I shouldn't include myself, but like non-Indian and non-Sikh people, how are people understanding it? And how are we going to bridge that gap once you have Sikh immigrants who come here and when you have non-Sikh Indian immigrants who come here and they come across the sort of a sentimental attachment, a political attachment to the idea of Khalistan and how do you, and they see it as being violent and terrorist, how do you bridge that gap? And I don't think we are thinking about these issues at all. We are still thinking about it just as, oh, this India, Canada, and it's that internal matter happening in India. And there's just a few people here who have this belief. We are far more interconnected 
than we recognize. And I think we need to have those difficult conversations. As you say, we need to be having these conversations. Like Canada seems to be in a very interesting place as the home to more six of, of any country besides India. And now it's affecting our our geopolitics. It is affecting our geopolitics. You mentioned earlier that this kind of like was able to, you're right, strike a bit of a nonpartisan chord because uh, everyone is going to agree that the Canadian sovereignty, the NDP and the Conservatives are going are to agree that Canadian sovereignty has to be respected. And, and it did hand Trudeau a much needed win and a moment of, of a certain kind of unity. However, it's so interesting all of these headlines about Trudeau making shocking allegations, I'm almost jealous. Like We're in the business of making shocking allegations in the media. And then people say, well, where's your proof? And now everyone's asking Trudeau, where's your proof? I'm like, well, he's not a very good journalist. Yeah. Like, show, show us how you got <laughs> show there. Us how, show, and don't that, tell. Yeah. That's it. And that's what Polyev is saying. It's like, okay, I'm not saying you're wrong to take this firm stance, but like, how do you know this? How do you Can know? You t- so I think we're all kind of... Yeah, we want to see more. Yeah. But uh, at the same time, I would trust the Sikhs who say, well, we've always known this, right? And I think there is an element of truth to that. I, I want need, the receipts. If, if, but, if but you're linking this want, to the yeah. Modi government directly, yeah. which is very, I, yeah. I don't even want to say implied, when the prime minister gets yeah. up there and says, we've reached conclusions about this, the globe is right to say Trudeau has accused India of killing a Canadian. Like that, 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 That's what he did. That's really what it amounts to. And I should also point out the same rare nonpartisanship occurred in India as a result of this accusation. You have the BJP and the the Congress Party, which was responsible for this genocide of Sikhs in 1984. Suddenly, the Congress Party came out in support of the BJP's actions, saying that we didn't do anything and we have to support our own sovereignty. Everyone leader. unilaterally is saying, is saying deny, we deny, done deny, it. deny. Yeah. yeah. So they're saying we would never do it. And, and so there's nonpartisanship on both sides which i find a fascinating observation well, it's you know, terrifying. development if if if, yeah. if 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 both countries are completely united in opposition yeah. to each other correct this episode is brought to you by the center for addiction and mental health camh we hear a lot about the opioid crisis we talk a lot about the mental health crisis these are serious problems these problems affect us all they've affected my life and my community They're not intractable problems. I don't know what's going to solve them on a policy level, but day-to-day helping people, that's what CAMH does. They do it on the ground when people need help, and they do it through research. The team at CAMH gave our team a tour of their facilities, and we were really just blown away by the incredible, heroic work that they're doing every day. They treat everyone with dignity, and their research is seeking and finding real solutions for everyone around the world. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, It's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does 
BetterHelp. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. Shree, we don't like it when important news stories go ignored or undernoticed. And that's why we have Duly Noted. I, I want to duly note something you wrote. I was following this Russell Brand thing, least surprising me too in the world. But you, you, you brought up something that occurred to me when I saw his preemptive video. Russell Brand's sex assault allegations bears similarities to the Gameshi case. But here's what's changed. I think this is an interesting piece that people should read. And, and I did note, like, who broke the news? Russell Brand broke the news about the Russell Brand scandal. He took to his YouTube channel and all of the other places where he posts his videos to his many, many fans. And he said, there's this story coming out. The media is ganging up. They're colluding against me. I deny it completely. Hey, I've got my own sexual stuff, but it's all consensual. And, you know, I've gotten too close to the truth, so they're coming to take me down. And I, I thought... Well, this sounds familiar because that's exactly the tactic that Gian Gameshi took when he knew about the story that was about to come. Uh, your analysis is fantastic, and it made me think because comparing the days of Gameshi with Brand, here's what's changed. Well, you might think that what's changed is that Gameshi happened before Me Too and before Weinstein and before the Me Too hashtag and before this huge reckoning. And you might think that it would be better now. Yeah. You might think yeah. that I can't think of a more conclusive investigation. They had text messages that nobody is refuting from 2012 where an accuser who's going by the name Nadia says to Russell Brand, when a girl says no, it means no. Do I have to get myself tested? And Brand responds, you don't need to get tested. I'll make this up to you somehow with live, he meant to say love, and kindness. I'm embarrassed by my behavior. Sorry. Will you ever? like? It's like an accusation and an admission and an apology. And so now that we are all literate on these issues, you think that this would be, you know, unanimous. But, but that's not where it's at now. And I don't think we're all literate on this issue. I genuinely think people like men uh, and a lot of women and, you know, anybody on the gender spectrum do not understand consent. I really believe that people think, well, I did something wrong, but I apologize, so now it's okay. Uh, and you haven't said anything, so now it's okay. But no, it was always it was wrong then, it's wrong now. Even if you tell me it's okay, it is still wrong. And if you're an entitled person, larger than life, making a ton of profit by being an asshole or being uh, whatever his uh, oversexed brand was, he's thinking, oh, I'm just, this is just my brand. I'm, you know, I'm kissing a journalist without asking her. I'm, you know, raping somebody. I'm, you know, and this is just like, okay, and then I'll apologize and ha ha, life is fun. And remember, all of this happened at a time where there was very little accountability of men doing all of this, right? Early, was it in the 2012? 12, 12, before, 13, yeah. yeah. When, so when this it... is before Me Too, right? So so there was there was even less of an understanding when he did it but 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 I think you you hit on something uh, in in the piece that you wrote that I that I that sent a chill down my spine because I was watching this all play out and I don't think I agree that people don't understand consent I think that we do understand it I think that he's appealing to people who just don't fucking care and what he's done 
you know, I think there's both. If you look at the response and how people are defending him, yeah. they don't care about they the don't evidence. Care. Yeah. Right. When Elon Musk says, yeah. I support Russell Brand, he's not evil. He's not saying, I think these texts yeah. are, are fake. Yep. He's not saying that the women are liars. He's just saying, I support Russell Brand. He's yeah. not evil. They're not engaging with the facts at all. They don't care about they the truth. They don't about care it. about the victims. Yeah. They don't care that yeah. he is a rapist. Yeah. What I found so chilling, and at first I, I shrugged this off as a conspiracy theory, but the more I thought about it, if you're Russell Brand and you're watching the Me Too movement happen and you know mm-hmm. what you did mm-hmm. and you know that, that that other people have texts of this, yep. you're like, well, when's it going to be my turn? Yep. And you look at everything he's done since, cultivating, people say, oh, he turned to the right. He didn't turn to the no. right. He turned against the media. Yeah. And he starts to build this huge online following. And it's very positive. His message, like, it's diabolical. Wellness, yeah. Yeah, he's like, beautiful human beings, freedom. We need to free ourselves from everything he said. The one thing he was negative about was the media. Yep. And to save the skin of this guy who seems very plain to me is a predator and a rapist, he has locked arms with an increasing number of very powerful people who share with him, they don't. They might not care whether or not he's a rapist or not, but they share with him an abhorrence that the media can embarrass and take down powerful people. And they're trying to create this other vector that just refutes facts, you know? It refutes facts, and it all goes towards entrenching power in the hands of a few. The big difference I wanted to point out in my column was at least Gomeshi was, was engaging with the facts of the allegations. Yeah. And in this case, he is just talking about a bigger, a fake conspiracy theory. Can you, I would love it if all the media could come together and actually be capable of cooking up some, uh, you know, some some falsehoods and then nobody say a word. It's I mean, a journalists are fantasy. big gossips. Like, can you imagine this even happening? That somebody were to come and lean on a newsroom and say, we're all going to, and this is like multiple, multiple newsrooms. newsrooms. We're all going to get together and cook the story. We're going to get actors to play. Like, yeah. it, it's an impossibility. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think that Gameshi ever actually contended ever on the stand or elsewhere with the facts of what of what over 20 people accused him of, but he gestured towards them. Gestures towards them. <laughs> you know, exactly. he had an alibi that was like, at least he recognized that these people exist. Brand just says, it's all lies. It was all consensual. No, ma- no matter what I myself said in these texts. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's frightening to me beyond just this story because what you're seeing is our whole, it's not like about who's right or wrong, or at least they're trying to make it not about who's right or wrong, because to figure out who's right or wrong, you need evidence and facts. It's about just the dominance of the power of the platforms and the celebrity of the Jordan Peterson, who's also come to his defense, locking arms and saying, we're not even going to have a conversation about yep. the evidence. You're just going to throw dust in the eye. Yeah. And once you once you create this alternate information system that can just assert things and not and not contend with evidence, that is terrifying beyond this very serious issue. Duly noted. Shri, what do you have to duly note today? Ah, as it turns out, related to the misinformation and the conspiracy theories that you were talking about with the Russell Brand story, the trial of Nathaniel Weltman in Windsor, the man who in 2021 took his black pickup truck and decided, went in search of a Muslim family and plowed them and killed four people. Murdered right? them. Murdered, murdered, murdered them. a family yeah. people for being Muslim. So, yeah, Salman Afzal, Medina Afzal, Talat Afzal, and Yamna Afzal. My colleague Wendy Gillis is uh, one of the media people who is, you know, at the forefront of covering this trial. She's doing excellent work, so I just want to note her work on one side. But also the fact that in his statements to the police, Weltman has talked about grooming gangs, minority on white crimes, uh, being influenced by Trump's rhetoric on dishonest media. And it is chilling that this is not 
the kind of rhetoric we're talking about, the kind of conspiracy theories that we were just talking about, Russell Brand and all the other names that you mentioned, the things they are floating, they're actually leading either disenfranchised men or just angry men or some kind of men to this form of violence. It's no longer just an abstract idea of a lunatic fringe that's talking about disinformation and conspiracy theories. It is in us. It's among us. It's hurting us. And I think we need to take this case really seriously. Duly noted. Shri, I want to end today just by eulogy. Just a horrible day. You know, these stories of media closures and layoffs mm. happen so frequently that, like, it almost doesn't matter if you hear that um, seven newspapers went under or disappeared or 70. And last week it was 70. The Aurora Banner, which was founded in 1864. The New Hamburg Independent, 1878. They've been publishing since 1878. The Orangeville Banner, publishing since 1893. Generation after generation of journalists serving their communities with news and flyers for the supermarket in these newspapers. 70 different communities, 605 media jobs. That's a significant percentage of like the media jobs that remain that Metroland Media Group, which uh, parent company Nordstar, same parent company as the Toronto Star. I'll remark on this, not just to note this, because it's, it's a big, big deal, but also to push back on what I think is just the bullshit of saying, well, we're just moving these newspapers online. No, if you're, if you're laying off 605 people, I don't really care about the move from print to, to online. That's how things should move, I think. But we need to be very suspicious of these narratives that like, we're just re-transforming them. You're, you're killing those newspapers and they may live on as some sort of a zombie masthead with some aggregated content underneath. Uh, and you can juice a few more bucks off of the remaining clicks, but that's the decimation of 70 newspapers. Yeah. I mean, it's, I was, you know, all of us were devastated. It's, it's a huge hit on the morale, you know, even although the Toronto Star is not affected yet by any of this. Connected, uh, if not affected. But but definitely connected. I mean, there are people in the newsroom who were part of Metroland, we didn't even know, and their jobs have gone. So we are going to, you know, lose out people as well. And again, connected to what we were just talking about, the suspicion and media, you think about it, it's not just, on the one hand, loss of livelihood is enough of a trauma. And in a shrinking industry, where there are not enough jobs and the idea that if you're, say, in your 50s and this is all you've done is you've done, you know, you've always worked in the media and now where you're going to find a job, there's ageism, there's all of those other issues. On top of all of that, now you have this jeering suspicion of journalists. So now if you have a company, a, a mid-sized company CEO who also kind of is, you know, small T Trump uh, kind of acolyte, who's going to look at you and say, oh, you were a tour star? You were this left liberal media thing? I'm not even going to give you a job. So now you've just added another layer of difficulty for, for all these people who've lost their jobs. I mean, 605 and I think 68 of them are journalists. What, what are journalists supposed to do? Add other layers of discrimination. Like there's just, it, it, is, it is just horrific. I'll, I'll say this. You know, I think that especially mid and late career journalists, uh, what are they supposed to do? They're supposed to do journalism. And in a earlier environment, as recently as a year ago, it's a terrible thing when a community news loses a newspaper. It's also true that some of these newspapers have been struggling and have been not what they used to be. And the communities have been underserved and not getting the news quality that they, that they want. And 
there have been upstarts, including a company called Village Media, which has taken the demise of a paper as an opportunity mm. to step in and launch something with a business model that is much that is viable. And they and they have launched community news sites in dozens of communities. Mm. But they have frozen new launches because of Bill C-18. Ah. Jeff, Jeff LG has confirmed this, that it is because of Bill C-18, which is supposed to help us, but it has, it has introduced so much uncertainty into the market. Nobody knows who's going to be getting money from Google or how much. Is it my competitor who's getting the money or is it me? What's going to happen? Nobody knows for sure if this is going to help or hinder. And the news block from Facebook is making it very difficult for new news organizations to attract that initial audience. Because this is the moment when a paper goes under is when you want to hit, you, you know, usually there's like a Facebook community page and you can go to that community page and say, hey, obviously you're a person who cares about local news for this small community. We've got a brand new news site. And, and if, if that news site can't be linked to on Facebook, you've lost a major marketing channel. So this is like 70 opportunities for new launches that are that have been frozen out because of this legislation uh, working in the opposite direction that it's supposed to. So it's a mess. It's uh, really yeah. bad. It's, it's the legislation or is it the response by Facebook to the legislation? I mean, according to the publisher of Village Media, it's the legislation. Okay. Uh, and, and, the, and, you know, we're the only country where Facebook is doing this. So At the moment, I, yeah. I, as a response to legislation. So we could get into a chicken and egg thing. But, you yeah. know, I, I think that, that I think the government needs to take responsibility for what, what's going on because they're the ones who have motivated it. That's my point of view. From your perspective as a Toronto Star journalist, I know that Jordan Batov, you know, we have done our diligence and reported on who this guy is and where he comes from and, you know, donations in the past. But I also think that lots of things can be true in the past and you can donate money to conservatives and still give a shit about the Toronto Star. And every indication I have from your newsroom is that this guy actually really cares about the Toronto Star. He does, yeah. And I think that I, I'm reading this like there was these earlier talks of a post-media tour star merger, but I didn't really think it was going to be a merger. It really sounded like post-media taken over. And I think that things fell through because the independence of the Toronto Star was not guaranteed. That was, I think, what happened. I'm not in the backroom conversations. But, you know, you're not, you're not even entertaining the idea of that merger unless things are really, really bad. And now I'm looking at this and I'm saying, I think that they are sacrificing it's a lot of jobs and that's a lot of people to pay. And it's like, all right, we're going to lose these weekly, these community weeklies to save the star, yeah. I guess is the idea. I have no inside info on this at all. You know, it's kind of, if that is true, then there's going to be a lot of survivor's guilt, right? If that's how it is. I'm not enough of a visionary to have a vision for what future corporate media can look like. But I do think all media are hurting. All media, whether they are corporate, legacy, non-legacy. And I think that, you know, I'm, I'm one of the first who can blame legacy media for a lot of its past hubris and not having done enough right from the get-go across the world, right? Like when Google came first, we should have always never been free. We should have always been asking Huffington Post in its very first, remember when it was Huffington Post, uh, in its very first reiterations of its taking our stories and then just making money out of taking our stories, that should, we should have stopped it right there, saying, no, you contribute to us if you're going to make money off of this. So I think there was a lot we could have done earlier, but when you're an industry that has survived for more than a century just based on the journalism and the advertising that automatically comes in, I don't know if there was that alertness to this major change that's actually going to threaten our existence. 
I think that the industry did everything wrong. And I also think that if they had done everything right, it still might not have Maybe mattered. Maybe not. Um, I think it's quite I, – and I, I remain steadfast in my belief that that people need news and they want news. Yep. And somebody will figure out and we're figuring out and others are figuring out viable, much smaller models that work and are profitable. And I think it, it, it might be that with a couple of exceptions, you can't turn – the, a newspaper into one of these new things. You know, the, the New York Times can do that, but I don't. But city newspapers like the Toronto Star are having a, a, a miserable time across the board. I will blame the bosses for one thing, though, which is that all of these uh, 605 people who lost their jobs, who are protected by unions, doesn't look like they're going to get any severance because the parent company, which is like protected from the Toronto Star, it's a separate company, has declared bankruptcy. I guess the courts will work out whether or not they can get away with denying these people their severance. But that's of some concern here as well, to, especially to those people. And you know what? Everybody in this industry knows at least one person who's affected by this. And I, I'll just say a kind word to my friend Mike Adler, who was with Metroland mm. for most of his career and, and who covered Scarborough. Yep diligently and with love for the community that he served. Like, like this is what's so frustrating when people lash out at journalists. Like, like journalists actually kind of like really want to Care. tell people. Yeah. They want to tell you what's going, they want to reflect you back to you. They want to tell you what's happening in your community. They want, they want the story. They're actually just trying to give you information. And it's such a weird thing for people to be, you know, getting so angry about these poorly paid reporters. And that's so. the other thing, right? Like it's not, you're not in journalism for, what you're not getting the corporate salaries, even the Toronto Star and the Globe, which are one of the bigger paymasters in this in this country, are nowhere near what a corporate salary for a middle manager or above would be. And mm-hmm. and and Mike Adler, I mean, yeah, I live in Scarborough. I know the man's name. I know his work. It's uh, it's tragic. Uh, it's a loss. It's a huge loss. And where am I going to get my Scarborough news from now? Six Buzz's Instagram channel, and that's another f- hilarious effect of uh, the Facebook news ban is who gets to stay on Facebook mm. when the news gets booted off? Entertainment sites yep. that have no commitment to verifying what they what they publish. But to the people who get, I, I'm, I'm not dumping on SixBuzz. I love new models and I think that they're, they're serving an audience that needs, that wants information. But look at SixBuzz's stories and tell me that they're not trying to do news. Yeah. That's where people are getting their information about their community from. And that's the, the the publication that is still able to function on uh, on Instagram and Facebook. Wild times. And that shortcuts. Shree, thank you. Thank you for having me. Good chatting. Likewise. Everybody, you can find us on Twitter at CanadaLand. I can be emailed about anything you heard. Jesse at CanadaLand.com. I read what you send. Shree Paradkar, where can people <laughs> find you and your work? Uh, I guess on Twitter, uh, do not read the replies and quotes to my anything that I tweet, but I'm at Sriparadkar there. If there is a fee to be paid, then I'm out of there. Um, otherwise, just Google me at the Toronto Star. Okay, a qualified throw to Twitter. This episode is produced by Aviva Lassard with additional production by Caleb Thompson. Our managing editor is Annette Ajofor. Our editor-in-chief is Karen Puglese. Our theme music is by So-Called Syndications by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. Hey, we're trying something new. We have a brand new YouTube channel that is filled with, like, excellent videos. It's a whole new way to see our stuff, and there's some stuff there that you can't see anywhere else. Have a look. Go and search for us on YouTube and subscribe to our channel if this is something you want us to keep doing, because that's kind of how we're figuring out whether or not we should uh, lean into that or not. Go check it out now. It is called Canada Land Podcasts on YouTube. If you value what we do here, uh, we need your support. 
we rely on listeners like you to pay for journalism. Fancy that. As a supporter, you'll get all kinds of great stuff that we only give to our supporters. Premium access to all of our shows ad-free, early releases, bonus content, and exclusive newsletter. Discounts on our merchandise, invites and tickets to our live and virtual events. We have a great live event coming in October to celebrate our 10th uh, anniversary. Check that out. But uh, support us because you will become a part of the solution to Canada's journalism crisis. You'll be keeping our work free and accessible to everybody. Here's how you do it. Click the link in your show notes or go to canadaland.com slash join. You can listen ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com join. And thank you. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.